Good morning and happy Monday to you. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright, ready to kick off the week together. And I think the best way to do that is to start with prayer. Let's pray our morning offering. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if you know me, you know that lately I've been on a kick. And by lately, I mean what, like the last four years? No, at least two years. Don't waste your suffering. And uh, Friday, we celebrated one of the most beautiful memorials, I think, of the Blessed Mother, her title of Our Lady of Sorrows. But did you know that really the entire month of September, we devote our prayer to Our Lady of Sorrows, just as we devote our prayer to our Lord in the Eucharist in the month of June, and His precious blood in the month of July, or Mary uh, in the month of May, in the Rosary in the month of October, our devotion this month in September is to Our Lady of Sorrows. So we thought we'd carry that on this week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about suffering this morning and why we shouldn't waste our suffering. So we've got three homilies for you. And then uh, at the end of the show, not talking about suffering, well, maybe, depending on how you view it, Sister Mary Carolyn Nunes from the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr St. George has recently returned from a summer of travels with our high school and young adult youth of the church. And we're going to talk a little bit about her experiences and uh, what the youth are looking for and, and how we can evangelize them as well as ourselves. So that's all ahead on Roadmap to Heaven. Before we go to any of that, let's go to Mike Roberts for today's weather and our saint of the day. Today is the feast day of St. Joseph Cupertino. Born in Naples in 1603, his father Felice died before Joseph was born and the family's house was seized to pay debts. As a result, Joseph was born in a stable. When he was still a young boy, he became very ill. So his mother took him to the shrine of Our Lady of Grace where he was miraculously healed. As a child, he demonstrated rare spiritual gifts. When he was eight years old, he started to have visions and would go into ecstasy. These visions would continue for the rest of his life. But Joseph had a very difficult time learning and was prone to angry outbursts, which made it very difficult for him to follow a religious calling. After failing in his attempt to become a shoemaker, Joseph tried to join the Franciscan order where two of his uncles were priests but was rejected. In 1620, he was accepted as a novice by the Capuchins, but they eventually discharged him. Finally, Joseph's mother helped him get into the monastery of the Franciscans of Cupertino as an oblate. Quickly, he became known for his humility, obedience, penance, and visions, during which Joseph would often levitate. He worked very hard to become a priest and finally miraculously, passed the exam, but that was not the end of his troubles. His tendency to levitate, sometimes while saying Mass, was thought to be connected to witchcraft. Over a 14-year period, from 1639 to 1653, he was subjected to three different inquisitions before finally in 1657 being allowed to return to the conventional friars. Especially among the poor, Joseph was known for his miracles. 
He died on this day in 1663. St. Joseph Cupertino, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed Friday. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Daily Offering God the Father, I thank Thee for creating me. God the Son, I thank Thee for redeeming me. God the Holy Spirit, I thank Thee for sanctifying me. Infuse into my thoughts, words, and actions Thy grace, so that they may be supernaturally pleasing to Thee and supernaturally rewarding to me forever. O Blessed Trinity, abundantly assist me in becoming that which Thou intended me to become when Thou created me. For in Thy perfection I will give Thee the glory Thou desirest of me, and in that perfection I will find my greatest joy in heaven. Amen. We are in the month of September, which is a, a good time. I think we can officially say summer is over. Even though we haven't reached the equinox, summer is pretty much over. Uh, the travels have concluded, and we're happy to have a, a weary traveler with us. She's been on the show before. She's the vocation director for the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr St. George in Alton, Illinois, Sister Mary Carolyn Noon. Sister, it's good to have you back with us. After uh, many months, you've been on the road here or there or everywhere. This is a really full summer, Adam, for sure, but glad to be back. So what brings you by today for our conversation really is about some of those travels. Uh, I mean, most recently you just got back from Kansas City, and before that you were in Portugal um, and for World Youth Day. And before that you were at some of the Steubenville conferences as a speaker. So not only have you been out and about all summer, but a lot of that time has been spent with the youth of the church, whether that's young adults, high school youth, um, etc. I imagine that that is both a, an incredibly fun but incredibly exhausting way to spend a summer. It's a little bit of both. We were just talking before we went on air about about aging and how <laughs> you kind of feel your age, especially when you're around young people and, you know, sleeping in various places at World Youth Day. I was like, oh, I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm not as young as I was at the last World Youth Day that I went to. So, <laughs> yeah. I, Well, the last one I went to, I was able to sleep on a floor without uh, any consequence. Now I can't. I dread the thought of even laying down on a floor for five minutes. But uh Those fun stories aside, and let me tell you, friends, if you've ever been to World Youth Day, you know that there are a ton of stories, and as ridiculous as they sound, they're all true. Um, We're here to talk about the youth, and that's one of those things that more and more I have been seeing, that young people today, they're either, you know, completely turned off to the faith, or they are so thirsty for the faith. But in either case, whether they've, you know, left the church or they're still in the church, they're hungry for truth. And they're not just looking for the the simple answer that would fit on the slip of paper in a fortune cookie. They're looking for a depth of truth right now, aren't they? I think truth, and, and with that truth comes an authenticity. Like, they're really looking for authenticity. And anything that's not authentic, they can sniff it out right away. So whether that's uh, in an individual or whether that's in the actual proclamation of the gospel, if it's not authentic, they're not buying it. That's a very important starting point for our conversation because it's really easy um, to go in and say, well, I'm just going to do this or I I have my little spiel that I'm going to give and whatnot. Whether you like it or not, I don't really care because I just have the same spiel over and over again. And what's that old saying they used to use when I was in youth ministry? People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm -hmm, For sure. 
I think too, like things that are, you just said, you know, they have their spiel, they have their shtick, and they just get up there and speak it. Fine, um, but when things are canned and frozen, they're never as scrumptious as when they're fresh. And so it's so important for someone like I, I find that in my own speaking, I've got some stories that are just good stories and they're good jumping off points. But if it's not continually a part of my prayer, it's not worth using because it needs to be what Jesus is saying to me now, so it can be what Jesus is saying to them now. As a veteran of many conferences, retreats, uh, both as an attendee and on production teams or or retreat teams, I've always found that the best moments are not the ones where the the speaker is up on stage. You know, Um, sacraments aside, the best moments are those conversations that happen in the hallways or the sidewalks or or whatnot. So what are some of the questions that you've been asked this summer? I mean, you you spent some time at the Steubenville Youth Conferences. You spent some time at World Youth Day. What are the young people asking? Absolutely. So I, th- I think so much of it is they want to know who they are and they want to know if God is real and if it matters in their life. Um, and so I think it comes down a lot of times that we've probably heard the acronym relationship, identity, and mission. Those things are the deepest things that young people need to find the answers to. Like, And they can only find that in relationship with the Lord. So when when programming at a retreat or a conference or even World Youth Day is not putting people in relationship with the Lord, it's actually worthless. Because at the heart, a young person wants to know that they're seen and known and loved. And so that happens in my one-on-one encounter with them in that moment. But really, if I can't put them in touch with Jesus, it can't just end with me and actually satisfy their hunger or their thirst. Um, and then within that relationship with the Lord, they start to know who they are and who in knowing whose they are, they know who they are. And then they know what they are to do about it and how they're to go out on mission. And they really want a purpose. Like I really, I think so often, what, what am I supposed to do with my life is a deep question that, that many people ask me, especially as a vocation director. And they want me to give them five easy steps to figure it out, but it's just not really possible. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you, you give us that acronym uh, of rela- RIM, Relationship Identity Mission, because our culture, I think, tries to flip that around, at least the I and the R. First, first you have to know who you are. But as Catholics, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we cannot know who we are apart from him if we want to authentically know ourselves. And so that's so important. And, and I love uh, how it ends with mission, though, because I think of some of the things we play on the show here, some of the homilies we share, some of the talks we share, and, and they're pretty heavy hitting sometimes that to live the life of faith, you need to do this, you need to do that. You, and, and, and it's challenging. Like These are the daily prayer routines. That's the mission, and it's a lot easier to take those in because I love our Lord, and I and I know who I am in relationship to Him. To be able to say, "All right, all these things you're challenging me to do now that before I would have been like, you want me to do what? Now I'm like, all right, bring it on. Let's go. Let's keep diving deep into this." Right. I, th- I think in some ways, what young people need the most is to learn how to just be in our society, and even just to be with each other. Uh, I'm a, I'm pretty big on teaching people how to be human. So one of my favorite things to do is like play cards, like teaching people how to play card games, like good old fashioned family game night. You know, um, because of the way that our society is, there's so much human formation that's lacking. And so when I can rub elbows with a teen outside of the stage and be at the block party that was held at the Steubenville conference or when I can be just sitting in an airport next to a couple of teens on World Youth Day and chatting and and talking about deep and real things and sharing stories and sharing funny things that happen and just being human, that takes them to a place where they're able to receive something more deeply. I think of two trips we took this summer, uh, one in early August, one we just got back from uh, not too long ago, both to a lake, two different lakes, but the one rule was no TV. 
you know, or if we were going to have TV, it was going to be limited to an hour a day. So choose wisely. But we brought bags of board games and dominoes and Uno and cards, other card games. And every night, you know, whether it was the whole family or just segments of the family, they were playing. They were interacting with one another. Our kids were. And it was just beautiful to watch as a father. They weren't glued to their tablets. They weren't glued to a television screen. Every now and then they were glued to books. But I'm okay with that, especially since I know what books they brought. And it was good reading for them. And uh, I worry that we've gotten away from that in our culture. So let's give our listeners something practical then. You know, for, for the, the grandmothers, the grandfathers, the aunts, the uncles, the parents that are listening. Um, and they're saying, all right, well... You know, I want my grandkids to grow up believing the faith. I want them to stay Catholic. I don't want them to fall away from the church. How can they use their relationship to help their, whether it's grandchild, niece, nephew, child, whoever it may be, uh, build that relationship with Jesus? I mean, first and foremost is witness, right? Pope Paul VI in Evangelion Nunciandi says that modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than he does to teachers. And if he listens to teachers, it's only because they're witnesses. So no amount that mom and dad know about the faith is going to be helpful for their kids unless they know Jesus and they're living that on a daily basis. Um, it's always that dangerous thing. And, I, and I've seen the pain of so many parents whose kids, and they are faithful, and their kids have walked away from the practice of the faith. So first of all, that's not on you. Um, second of all, that your own prayer for your children is going to work miracles in their lives that they don't even realize. And third of all, um, that witness will do something, whether it's whether it's now or later, it will do something for your child. And so providing that witness is, is right there, but then also answering questions and not being afraid to grapple with your children with the difficult questions, with the things that maybe are hard to understand. I, I think about John 6, right? Jesus his own apostles saying to him, Lord, this saying is hard. Who can who can do it? You know, who can who can live this? And um, and just being able to sit with them in the questions, they just want someone to be with them sometimes. They don't necessarily need an answer. They just want someone to be present with them in the grappling. So That comes back to that hunger for truth when you say don't be afraid of hard questions because sometimes as a parent, I fall into that trap of, you know, I just want to be able to give a one-sentence explanation and move on. But especially as our oldest is in eighth grade now and he's we're doing confirmation prep and we're in the thick of that and what does confirmation mean and all of this. It's like, okay, one sentence answers. This is not the time for that. And he has yet to say, stop talking, Dad. Um, he's like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? And, and we just keep going down. Not It's not really a rabbit hole because it's where we're intending to go in the conversation, but he just keeps coming back with question after question after question. And I think of the injustice I would have done him if I would have just said, well, uh, here's a one-sentence answer to your question. Yeah, I think one-sentence answers, pretending you know the answer when you actually don't, um, and and being too proud to say, you know what, I'm not sure, but let's find out together. I think that's a huge thing, uh, to be willing to go on a journey with people. And I think that's something that, as a vocation director, so often I'm doing. Women come and they want to know, what's my vocation? And I refuse to give an answer because it's not my answer to give. It's only the Lord's. And so um, I think a, a deeper surrender of our children and grandchildren and spiritual children and grandchildren to the Lord and to his providence, trusting that truth, beauty, and goodness will always draw the human heart, and truth, beauty, and goodness is Jesus himself. All right. Now, we should take a break for our radio listeners, but I want to ask, would you be willing to stick around for a few minutes and talk about what it was like to be in Portugal for our podcast listeners? Oh, absolutely. All right. So those of you listening on the radio this morning, you, you're going to have to, you have homework now. You have to come back and find the podcast version of Roadmap to Heaven wherever you get your podcast or by visiting ourcatholicradio.org because there's going to be more with Sister Mary Carolyn on the podcast In the meantime, we are going to take a break here on the show. Don't go away. We've got more Roadmap to Heaven after this. Act of Consecration to St. Joseph O dearest St. Joseph, I consecrate myself to your honor 
and give myself to you, that you may always be my Father, my protector, and my guide in the way of salvation. Obtain for me a greater purity of heart and fervent love of the interior life. After your example, may I do all my actions for the greater glory of God, in union with the divine heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. O blessed St. Joseph, pray for me that I may share in the peace and joy of your holy death. Amen. Here's a catechist question for you this morning. World Youth Day has its roots in the pontificate of St. John Paul II, but when was the first international World Youth Day? And it is an official thing. It's not just a gathering that we happen to say, oh, the youth are there. We'll call it World Youth Day. St. John Paul II intentionally said we're going to have an international World Youth Day. That first one was in the first international one. That's a very important point. was in 1987 in Buenos Aires, Argentina. In 1989, it was at the Santiago de Compostela in Spain. And then next in Chestakova, Poland. In 1993, the first World Youth Day in the United States was held in Denver, Colorado. And there was a lot of fruit in the church in the United States that is traced back to that particular World Youth Day, and uh, you know what? A, what a great harvest our Lord reaped after that. We should pray for another harvest. We should pray that we have another event like that to see the life of the church flourish. So many young men answered calls to the priesthood as a result of that World Youth Day. Let's keep praying for young men to answer, and all men to answer that call to the priesthood, and let's pray for young men, young women, men and women, to answer the call to the religious life. We're going to get you another check of the weather here on Roadmap to Heaven, and then Patty Schneier will have our daily dose of encouragement. A prayer for greater love of Jesus. O my Jesus, thou knowest well that I love thee, but I do not love thee enough. O grant that I may love thee more. O love that burnest ever and never failest, my God, thou who art charity itself, enkindle in my heart that divine fire which consumes the saints and transforms them into thee. Amen. May the sacred heart of Jesus be loved in every place. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. It is time to start another week together here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And with us, as always, is Patty Schneier. Patty, what is our topic this week? Well, this week we are going to talk about devotion to the infant Jesus, and especially the most famous of which is the infant Jesus of Prague. Maybe you've heard of that, the infant Jesus of Prague. Who is this? What is this? What is this statue? What? How do people have a devotion to the infant Jesus? So let me first start off with some history about the infant Jesus of Prague. The statue, if you've seen it, says a little statue, and you might see Jesus with some beautiful, ornate robes and a crown on his head and holding the world in his hand. The statue was first carved in the 1500s by a Spanish monk. And over time, the statue became revered and honored by the Spanish people. 
The statue was venerated by St. Teresa of Avila, and on her travels, she would always carry a small replica with her. It's believed the original figure was gifted by St. Teresa of Avila to the Spanish princess Maria Maximiliana as a wedding present when she married a Bohemian nobleman. And they, the two of them, brought it to Prague. So that's where you get the infant Jesus of Prague. The couple gave birth to a daughter, Polyxenia, who in 1587 married the most powerful Bohemian, Lord William, and the little wax figure was given to their daughter as a wedding present. It's a small statue. It's just 19 inches tall. It's made of wood, wax, and cloth, and it represented the infant Jesus dressed in royal robes and wearing a king's crown. After the death of her husband, the princess devoted herself to works of charity and was particularly involved with the Carmelites in Prague. In 1628, when the Carmelite monastery had been reduced to poverty because of war, the princess gave her precious statue to the Carmelites, saying, I give you what I prize most highly in the world. Honor and respect the child Jesus, and you shall never be in want. So her gift was placed in this Carmelite oratory. And the words proved prophetic, because as long as the Carmelites kept up their devotion, everything was well. But then the Carmelites were later forced to flee from the city in the confusion of war, and they were unable to take with them this miraculous statue. Invaders seized it, threw it into a pile of rubbish. And in 1635, peace came to Prague, the Carmelites returned, and one of them, Father Cyril, who had previously received great spiritual help through his devotion to the infant, he sought out the statue, looked for it, found it amid the rubbish, and overjoyed, he placed the statue in the oratory. He knelt in prayer, and he was gazing at the child Jesus. He was filled with awe and wonder, and suddenly he heard the statue speak to him. And Father Cyril was stunned as he heard these words from the infant Jesus. Have mercy on me, and I'll have mercy on you. Give me hands, and I will give you peace. The more you honor me, the more I will bless you. So what he did was he took that statue. The hands of the statue had been broken off. So the hands were restored, and then for three centuries, this promise inspired worldwide devotion to the miraculous infant Jesus of Prague. The original statue is still preserved in the Church of St. Mary of Victory in Prague. And today, replicas and models of this small statue are honored in every single part of the world. The list of blessings attributed by devotion to the infant Jesus is endless. Health restored, financial problems solved, gifts of peace of mind, innumerable healings, physical, spiritual. God has really been generous in blessing those who have been devoted to his infant son. So today, why am I telling you this whole story? Let's pray for the grace to grow in our devotion to the infant Jesus. How will you do that? Well, stay tuned because this week we're going to share a whole world of devotion to the infant Jesus. But that's the original story of the infant Jesus of Prague. Patty, I look forward to this week together learning about the infant Jesus of Prague here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. Well, it's been a wonderful morning to spend with you here in this 7 o'clock hour as you get ready for work or for morning mass or to go to school or whatever it may be. We want to thank you for spending your hour with Roadmap to Heaven, whether it was all of it or just part of it. We're glad to have you here. 
Don't forget to check out the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. All you radio listeners out there, you can find it at our website, ourcatholicradio.org, or just search your favorite podcast player. And periodically, you're going to get some bonus content that you don't get on the radio show here. So check that out. We have a lot in store this week for you, so I'll tell you about that as we go. But, you know, I'm looking forward to some things. In fact, there's a conversation coming up soon with Father Wade on our names. Not necessarily you know, Adam or, or Wade, but what's in a name. And especially if you have a young one preparing for confirmation, that's a segment you're not going to want to miss this week as well. Let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, this past weekend, I'll I'll share this thought with you. One of my daughters went to a birthday party where she had to roller skate at a roller rink for the first time. And I got a picture of her clinging to the wall because she was afraid she was going to fall down. But you know what? She went from not being willing to go out onto the floor to going around several times, even though she was clinging to the wall. Well, in prayer this week, if we're getting stretched beyond our comfort zone, let's follow the example of that little girl who was clinging to the wall and will cling to our Lord while we stretch ourselves in our prayer disciplines. Until next time, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Have a blessed morning. Don't forget to pray your rosary today. Sister Mary Carolyn Nunes from the Dragon Slayers, the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr St. George, one of my favorite religious orders, was with us on the radio show today. She has graciously agreed to stick around for a little post-show podcast conversation. Uh, Sister, thank you for that. And it's no secret to you or to anyone who listens to Roadmap to Heaven how much we love the rosary, and especially we love the apparition of the Blessed Mother at Fatima in Portugal. And your family is from Portugal, and you just had the opportunity to go to Portugal, and you love the rosary too. So I imagine that was a pretty fun trip for you, no matter what uh, trials there were along the way. Yeah, we actually we started our trip in Fatima. So we, we landed in Lisbon, wheels down, got our bags, and went directly by bus to Fatima for, for really almost three days, which was great. We got there late Saturday afternoon, spent all day Sunday. We're able to go to the International Mass with celebrated by Cardinal O'Malley, con-celebrated by Archbishop Nauman, who is with our group. And then we we were there for part of Monday as well. So the international, the rosary procession in the evening is just so powerful and beautiful to see all the candlelights and to hear the rosary in different languages. And I know the Hail Mary in a few different languages, and people next to me had to keep reminding me that I spoke English because <laughs> they'd be praying, like they'd be leading in Portuguese and I'd be responding in German. And I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's just a, a beautiful experience. And I realized uh, the last time I was in Fatima, I was only in Portugal one other time when I was studying abroad in college, was just there for two days, was only in Fatima. I was a teenager. Like literally, I was a teenager the last time I was there. And a lot has changed since I was a sophomore in college. And thinking about what the Lord has done and, and Mary's role in that and just the ways that um, my faith has grown since I was a sophomore in college and where, where the Lord's led me and just seeing his providence was, was really an incredible experience. Yeah, I, I was going to ask, when you say a lot has changed, are you saying a lot has changed in Fatima, a lot has changed in you, or both? Because I think of my World Youth Day experience. I was 17 years old. We went to Rome, 
and Milan, and there were 40 of us from the parish on the trip, including several very beautiful high school girls, and 17-year-old Adam Wright was not as interested in the spiritual life, but was very interested in each and every one of those high school girls, and so I know I missed out on a lot on that trip because my my mind was preoccupied with things that it didn't need to be preoccupied with. Yeah, my yeah, definitely different spot in, in all the ways. Things have changed in Fatima, things have changed in my heart, in my life. Um, but it was just, it was a powerful experience to go back and to see there's a new church that's been built there since I was there. And they've just done a lot of updates and, and renovations. And one of the things that I was able to see this time that I did not see the last time is the crown that holds the bullet from John, when John Paul II, the assassination attempt on his life. Um, they, I always thought that it was just on Mary in the little grotto, but it's not. Um, it's actually on display in a museum. It costs two euro, but it's probably the best two euro I spent on the whole trip. And um, it's it's so fascinating because the crown itself is only placed on the pilgrim statue on the 13th of the month and December 8th and August 15th. So only on high feast days. And it was fashioned in 1946, which is the year that Pope John Paul II was ordained a priest. as fashioned from gold and jewels of the women of Portugal who sent like in Thanksgiving for the protection of their husbands during the war. And um, the place where the bullet is was already there when the crown was fashioned. And they just slid that bullet right into this place as if that was where it was always meant to be. And I could have stood in front of that crown and looked at it and just pondered the mystery of God's providence for hours. But I was on a tour and I had to keep going with the rest yeah. of the people. So We're walking, we're walking, yeah, we're like, looking. <laughs> <laughs> And in whatever language, I guess Portuguese. It was are. an English-speaking tour, so oh, that that was in English. What? So you talked about the rosary procession. Uh, for our listeners who don't know about those, those are nightly rosary processions. Nightly rosary processions. So they everyone gathers over by the pilgrim statue of Mary, and the rosary is led in five different languages. And every night it was a little bit different. English was every night, Portuguese was every night, German was every night, uh, but then one night Korean, one night Chinese. So a little bit of little bit of everything, and they have pilgrims lead the decades. And then at the conclusion of the rosary, some volunteers carry the statue of Mary throughout the square, and everyone kind of falls in behind her, and they sing hymns. And um, it harkened back to my own, my childhood, my, my upbringing, and being able to go to rosary processions and singing the hymns in Portuguese and things like that. Now, my, my main experience with rosary processions was uh, many years ago over at Our Lady of the Snows in Belleville as part of their novena for the feast day on August 5th. And we'd process all around the amphitheater with candles uh, because it was after dark. And that was always a beautiful thing. The one year when I was the assistant master of ceremonies for the liturgies, I got sent back to the sacristy to grab something. So I was missing out on the procession. But then being on the other side of the amphitheater, seeing the procession was an amazing thing to behold, to see all of those candles being raised every time they sang Ave Maria Similar in very, Portugal? Very, very similar. Absolutely. Yeah. And they had just kind of going around. And when we, at one point, we were the last ones to kind of get into the procession. So we watched a lot of it go ahead of us and kind of even start to come back to us before we were able to get in. The first night, there weren't as many pilgrims, but by the second night, there were a lot of, a lot of people had come and a lot of, a lot of English speaking pilgrims I actually ran into a group from my home diocese at Providence, Rhode Island. Um, there's a priest who knows my parents really well and, and got to see him there. So it's kind yeah. of wild. Now, one of the, uh, I followed World Youth Day from back here in the States, reading on the the various Catholic news websites. Um, One of the things that really struck me that the Holy Father said was in an address, I, I can't remember if it was to religious or if it was to seminarians, but he was very clear about the need for more Eucharistic adoration and, and really encouraging all of our priests, bishops, laity, religious, pretty much if you wear the title Catholic, um, he was encouraging us 
to spend more time with our Lord in Eucharistic adoration. And you've mentioned a couple times now that people come to you and say, Sister, what's my vocation? You're the vocation director. Tell me what my vocation is. And I think of uh, something that Bishop Conley of Lincoln, Nebraska, said at the SEAT conference back in January. The day that he celebrated Mass and was the homilist, they were going to have Eucharistic adoration that night. And I remember him saying that nine out of ten seminarians, at least, in his diocese on their application, where did you first hear the call to discern priesthood, Eucharistic adoration? What are your thoughts on on that that general call that we received during World Youth Day to spend more time with our Lord in Eucharistic adoration? Time spent with Jesus is never wasted. Um, and I grew up in a in a Catholic family, went to Mass every Sunday, and I don't know that we ever had adoration at my parish. And as I grew older and encountered Eucharistic adoration for the first time at a Steubenville conference, I was like, I don't know what that was, but something just happened in my heart and it was really important. And so I began to seek it out myself. And um, there was a, an adoration chapel that was over the border in, a, in another state even, but when you're from New England, it's not too far. Um, and, I w- and I would spend a lot of time in that chapel. And I do know that my vocation was made much more clear before the Lord, because when you sit before Jesus, everything that's not important melts away. Um, And I think that's probably what allows us to hear the call so clearly in Eucharistic adoration, when he is the one uh, whose feet we sit and whose face we gaze upon, whatever is not important and whatever is going to fail to satisfy melts away. And we can hear his voice that much clearly. I remember when I was really uh, the vocation director for the Archdiocese of St. Louis at the time was Monsignor Michael Butler. And it got to the point that he's like, Adam, I've given you two applications. I'm not giving you a third. If you really want to apply, find one of those two and fill it out and bring it in. And, I, you know, it was in Eucharistic adoration in some way that I received that clarity that, you know, you're not really thinking you're called to the priesthood here. You want the fraternity that you're seeing of the men who live in the seminary. You're longing for good community. And I think we forget that sometimes, that it's not necessarily like, okay, all vocations to the priesthood and religious life are going to be found in the Adoration Chapel, but it's all vocations, marriage, single life. Uh, those can be found in the Adoration Chapel, too, and the important thing is to go. Yep. Jesus is the master of the harvest, period. Yeah. And that's the harvest for every single state in life that he needs to <laughs> reap the harvest so that people can live their vocations and grow in holiness. Now, you went with the Archdiocese of Kansas City to World Youth Day. What was the age range of the pilgrims you were with? Uh, I think the youngest one was was fifteen with a with a parent along board, and then I think the oldest one was Archbishop Nauman. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. but yeah. Ma- majority college students or uh, yeah, majority college students or even young adults. Um, there was a, a couple of families that came, so it was like dad, mom, mom, dad, and, and two kids, or uh, there was a mom with a couple of her kids. There was a dad with three of his three oldest sons, three oldest three of eight, um, and so and then all the seminarians for the archdiocese were also along yeah. the trip. Now I imagine you've been on enough of the pilgrimages, whether it's World Youth Day or conferences, that you kind of have that eye to notice, okay, there's change happening in this group as the pilgrimage progresses. And I I would imagine even change happening in yourself um, as you spent how many hours a day on on public transportation getting to and from the sites and sleeping on a futon and all of that. What, What changes did you see in your group from the beginning of the pilgrimage to the end? Um, I think people's expectations shifting. So, you know, they go in, they go, this is going to be the best trip ever. And they're like, oh, this is actually really hard. And starting to realize the grace of pilgrimage, uh, the grace of pilgrimage over vacation and the grace of like, oh, Jesus wants to meet me here and this isn't wasted. And I actually can use this difficulty to grow in relationship with him and to grow closer with each other too. Um, there's a there's a kind of a mutual trust that become, that's built when you're all suffering the same things and um, experiencing the same hardships and 
navigating. I think one of the, the neat things that I got to witness was a number of the seminarians in particular stepping up to, to help navigate literally uh, some of the public transportation or street maps or things like that, kind of pulling up their phones and, and taking the leadership in that. Um, and it was really particularly beautiful for me to see that in a guy that I taught when he was in high school that is now the, like in his fifth year of seminary or sixth year of seminary to see the way that he kind of was starting to live some spiritual fatherhood for the group. Practical application of you're the shepherd, they're the sheep, herd them to where they need yeah, to be. Yeah, very much <laughs> so. Very much so. Make sure you don't lose anyone <laughs> along the way. <laughs> now, one of those things, and I love that you bring that up, you know, pilgrimage is not vacation. As great as it was to go to the Sistine Chapel and St. Peter's and go up on top of the dome when I went to Rome for World Youth Day in 2000, there were moments, you know, we did have to walk quite a bit, especially when we were going to prayer events, you know, whether that was going to be Stations of the Cross or a rally or the big papal mass. It's the high point of World Youth Day where we, you know, the bus drops us off, but we have to walk another five or six miles to get to the place where we're going to camp out literally under the stars, no matter what the weather is. And I'm thinking, okay, Rome, summer, it's like St. Louis. It's hot, it's muggy, it's humid, it's not great. Did not think that when you sleep out in a field in the middle of nowhere, it's going to get cold at night. And I was, luckily I had friends that were like, all right, um, you can have the sleeping bag for five minutes, but then I get it back, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll rotate, we'll take shifts. That was uh, that was an experience I'll never forget, and not one that I look back and say, wow, you know what would be a great way to spend a weekend? And yet it was so incredibly grace-filled, even though you know the, the Holy Father, Pope St. John Paul II, was so far away. He was like the, the tip of a ballpoint pen uh, from what we could see. We spent most of the Mass watching the screen that was in front of us. But wow, there was some grace in that field that day. And that's actually interesting. You say grace in the field because the name of the place where they had the closing mass for World Youth Day in Lisbon was called the Field of Grace. Uh, and so we were there. And, you know, honestly, the walk was it was the, one of the hottest days. It was record setting temperatures in Lisbon, Portugal. So we're walking with our packs and everything. And uh, our group was blessed to be, be able to catch the food trucks pretty early on. So we had our provisions and everything. We were good to go. We got into our section and it was a pretty good section. Uh, and then the water spigot started to overflow into our section. And so Honestly, temperature wise, it was pretty pleasant, but our thing was we were literally in a few inches of mud. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a little bit a little bit challenging for us. But um overall, I I was kneeling there during adoration in particular on Saturday night with the Holy Father and there was a, a Portuguese singer singing this song, You Are the Star and I am the Pilgrim. And I just I was weeping for a couple of reasons. Um First of all, I, I was kneeling in this mud and I was just kind of laughing like I have mud all over my habit right now. And there's I don't know if there's ever going to be any coming back from this. Um, but I was kneeling on Portuguese soil. And as we mentioned before, I'm, I grew up on Portuguese. My, my grandparents grew up in Portugal. So um, there was something really moving for me about like I'm on Portuguese soil and I'm having this experience with Jesus and my grandparents were the ones who really instilled the faith in my dad, who instilled it in me. And so there's this kind of like patrimony of this Portuguese soil that's really important in my journey. Um, and not only am I in it, but it's it's on me. <laughs> do, do I remember correctly, you actually have a relative that witnessed the miracle of the sun? Uh, uh, like a distant relative, okay. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you come back to the United States, and I, I'm gonna, this is probably the, the most difficult question I'll ask you is you come back. If mother at the, the convent said, all right, well, Sister Mary Carolyn, what, what is the lesson you learned from going to World Youth Day this year? 
what would you say? Oh, can I have a couple? Um, so number one, like that, that song that that woman was singing, You Are the Star and I Am the Pilgrim. In fact, when I wrote kind of a reflection on my experience to be shared with the community, that was the the, the takeaway line that kind of I went back to after every little section and every little, little story I told. It was just the ways that I recognize that Jesus truly is the guiding star and I'm just the pilgrim and I'm following where he leads. Um, and that actually he's going to take care of everything. There were some questions before we went about where we were staying, about where we were showering. There, like A lot of those questions were not answered until we got to Portugal. Um, and I ended up staying with a woman, and I'm really convinced that the reason that I went to World Youth Day, that the reason that I went with the Archdiocese of Kansas City and not with St. Louis that got to stay in a hotel in downtown Lisbon. Um, but the reason that I went with this other group is because I was meant to stay in the home of, of this woman and to encounter her and to bring the charisma of our community of merciful love into the, into her home and to, to share some practical wisdom. I, I took three years of Portuguese in high school which was a long time ago. Um, but by the grace of God, I was able to really use it. And I was able to have some pretty intense and deep conversations with this woman. That was definitely the Holy Spirit. Cause I don't know how to, yeah, I don't know how I was able to handle what I handled in that moment um, to receive her heart and to, to be able to bring some love and, and healing into her life. I think of a quote from, uh, Michael Warsaw, he, he shared this with us at the Catholic radio conference last year, mother Angelica asking the question in prayer, Lord, why me? And that the answer she received uh, that Michael shared with us was, you're not the first person I asked. You're the first person who said yes. And it's, it's really humbling to think that God sometimes, you know, it's not that we're predestined to be in that spot. I mean, he knew you were going to say yes because he transcends time. But you had the option to not go to World Youth Day or to go with another group to stay in a hotel. And you had the option of saying, okay, this this gal that I'm staying with, sleeping on her futon, uh, she's kind of weirding me out right now. Uh, I'm just going to not talk to her and, and hope that's okay. And yet you chose to say, all right, Lord, you put me here and I can be of use. Help me be of use. Yeah, it was I, – I had this realization day one. I was like, I think I'm staying with the parish crazy lady. I guess that's a universal thing. Like yeah, everyone's every got parish a parish, has one. parish crazy lady. Um, she also had a pet bird. <laughs> That I was sharing a room with. The pet bird's name was Maria Fatima. It was a dove and it would sing. And yeah, it was it was yeah. quite an experience. Well, sister, it's been great to have you visit with us. And thanks for sticking around um, afterwards to be with us on the podcast and go a little bit more in depth and sharing some of your experiences. It's always good to have you. For any young women that are saying, you know, I, I've heard Sister Mary Carolyn before talk about these uh, nuns affectionately known as the Dragon Slayers, and maybe, you know, I might be called to the religious life. I'd like to go on a come-and-see weekend or, or just speak with a, a vocation director about the order and get some more information. How can they contact you? They can find us on the Internet at www.altonfranciscans.org. We have a discernment retreat coming up at the end of September, the 29th through October 1st, so 29th, 30th, October 1st, starting with the angels, ending with Therese. Um, and then also we have an opportunity in the Archdiocese of St. Louis called Love's Reply. It's a women's discernment group for women ages 18 to 30 who are simply asking the question, Lord, how have you created me to love? Um, that every vocation is born of God's love for us and that it's an invitation to step into his love and to live that love as women. And so as a bride and mother, no matter how we shake it, um, and that, that group meets on the last Wednesday of the month at the seminary. You can find uh, more information by emailing lovesreplystl at gmail.com. All right. There you have it. Well, thanks for sticking around for this bonus content here on the Roadmap to Heaven podcast version of the show. I always like to remind you, our podcast listeners, that 
It's worth tuning into the radio show live in the morning because there is stuff we put on the radio show that we don't put on the podcast. But today, you're the beneficiary of things we put on the podcast that we don't put on the show. If you would like to help us spread the good things that we share on Roadmap to Heaven, one of the easiest ways you can do that is to click like, subscribe, follow, whatever it may be. I don't know how these algorithms work, but people that are smarter than me tell me they do. And the more you click like, follow, share, subscribe, the more they get bumped up in people's feeds when they're just looking for good Catholic podcasts out there. So we really appreciate that. Until next time, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Thanks for hanging out on Roadmap to Heaven after the show with us. And don't forget to pray your rosary today.